you don't have to run that fast. We are looking at uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, or at least only a section, actually, this term of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And we've got to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 this morning. So turn with me to that, (coughs) and let's hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And do not worry about clothes. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the words of Jesus. For the way that he, uh, in some ways it's, it feels uniquely in the scriptures can speak to our hearts can open us up to your world the reality of who you are and change our lives and so Lord as we're bowed before you this morning we ask that Jesus' words will do just that for each one of us But whatever holds us back from becoming the person that you want us to be, have called us to be. We pray that you would show us that. And by your spirit, Lord, open our hearts and give us what we need to follow you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I am uh, personally an anxious person, a worrier. I remember my aunt once telling me that her earliest memories of me were of me um, peeping out from behind my mother's dress. She didn't see anything more than the top of my head all day. Um, I 
when I first went to school, my twin sister and I um, started school together. We spent the first few days crying and hugging each other in uh, terror. Um, when I was first given a responsibility in school, I was age 10, and they were deliberating about whether to make me a prefect. They had those things in those days. There was a big conference, apparently, and my headmaster called me into his office and asked me whether I felt up to it because he was conscious that I might crumble under the pressure. I nervously said yes. When Judy and I got married um, more than a decade later, our pastor, who knew me very, very well, didn't choose one of the, those sort of lovely passages about love and marriage and all that stuff in the Bible to preach on for our wedding. He chose this one. Poor Judy. Because he knew that I'm an anxious person. I'm something of an expert in anxiety, in fact. And over the years, I have become deeply aware that actually anxiety is one of the major drivers of human behavior. And, and kept within bounds, it can make us prudent. It was the most anxious of the three little pigs who did a risk assessment and decided to build his house of bricks because they knew that there were wolves around with a lot of puff. Not a bad thing. But anxiety can easily become a dreadful master. It can paralyze us. It can force us to waste inordinate amount of energy and time just trying to keep ourselves safe. It leaves us where I was, aged three, just uh, peep, peeping out from behind whatever skirts we can find to hide behind. Jesus knows that anxiety, worry, as he calls it in this uh, passage, cripples the whole world. drives us to ever more frenzied efforts of self-protection. We, we have to have some um, uh, sympathy for our MPs at the moment as they face the reality that in doing their daily work, they are facing the possibility of death. Thank the Lord that so far... They have chosen to go out and still meet people face to face. But it requires courage. Indeed, they are different from the average human being, frankly. The pagans, says Jesus, describing the world at large, run after security. This passage, then, is a very, very pertinent passage to me. And I suspect to you. And I know to the world. Last week, we uh, uh, were talking about money, storing up treasure. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, said Jesus. Store up treasures in heaven. And... Uh, 
we touched on uh, the reality that we store up treasure on earth for two reasons. One of those is greed. I want to live in luxury and uh, I need big storehouses of treasure to do that. Um, that's a powerful driving uh, force for us. But the other one is actually worry, anxiety. I want big storehouses of reserves. I want treasure on earth to keep me safe. And it is that one that Jesus now focuses on in particular. Did you notice he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. There is a connection with this treasure hoarding habit of ours. And worry is a very, very important thing for us to consider. It's such a personal thing for me. I wonder whether you'll just excuse me in uh, terms of uh, uh, my sermon with addressing it primarily to myself. The first thing that Jesus says is, Peter, go for a walk. Look at the birds of the air. Verse 26, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I, I love watching birds. There's one or two of us here in this church that do now. It's a growing little band. Um, I love the fact that the red kites fly over Oxford these days. We've lived here and seen them flying over Oxford for the very first time as they spread out from the Chilterns. Uh, this last summer, there were peregrine falcons nesting uh, at Tootbalden. I was seeing them uh, every day for a few weeks. Um, and uh, Andrew Child and, and I at least saw, the, uh, saw them together. Birds are carefree. They don't sow or reap or store, as, uh, as Jesus says. Actually, Israel was taught to have that attitude um, uh, in, in the Old Testament. They, they were taught, for instance, after the Exodus to, to uh, rely day by day on provisions from God, manna in the desert as they went towards the promised land. It was a lesson in daily trust. Israel was taught in their longer term life to once a lifetime had to have what they called a jubilee year where they would not sow or and, and what they would reap would be only what grew naturally in order to keep, to remind them that, that ultimately they are dependent on the goodness and kindness and generosity of God. The pattern for Israel, we see, was not that they never do, that they sort of live like vagrants and, the, and, and never do anything. No, there, there, is, there is sowing and reaping and, and uh, storing up to be done in normal life. But not to rely on it, not for it to settle on their hearts, for them to break free of that and remember that all good things come from God. And birds are our great example. Take swifts, for example. There's a very Oxford bird living in the, um, uh, uh, nesting in the tower of the uh, Museum of Natural History every summer. Screaming overhead if you've been here in the, in the summer uh, for just a few weeks. They, swifts are astonishing creatures, you know. They live almost their whole lives on the wing. 
They migrate every year between here and South Africa. And from the time that they leave here, the, the, the Museum of Natural History Tower, and uh, until the time they return here, nine months, many of them will never land. Imagine you're a young swift then. You've been hatched uh, in the, the tower, and um, uh, here you are, you are growing. You've, you've already done some push-ups. They do push-ups to get their wings going. You've done, you've done your push-ups in, uh, in the nest, and uh, you, you have this, this sense that your creator, you know not why, has made you to jump off that parapet there. It would be much more comfortable to stay back here in the, uh, in the nest, and uh, amazingly, mum and dad turn up regularly with food. But, but there is something within inside you, something that senses you, I'm made, I'm made to jump down there. You know, what, what, does, um, what does Rizzo the Rat say when he um, uh, jumps off the, the top of that gate in uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol? He says, oh, my poor little broken body, you know. Um, so, so, so there you are, and you jump. And you're flying. Never before have you done this. There was no practice possible. But here you are. You simply followed what you sensed your creator had made you to do. And you're out here. Now what am I gonna what am I gonna eat? What am I gonna eat? Oh what was that? Mm. Yeah. An insect, it tasted good. I'll, I'll follow the insects. Over the course of a, of a good day, you might have 100,000 insects that, that, that you eat. Over, over time, you're going to learn you can fly through uh, a, a, a swarm of bees and you can pick out the drones that don't have stings and avoid the, the workers that do have stings as you whiz through as a swift. They're, they're extraordinary. No practice. Um, they just learn it as they go. Getting to the end of the day, where am I going to sleep? Oh, I should go back to the nest, surely. Get a, get a rest, have a bit of security. No, but there's something in me that said I was not made for that any longer. I've got to do something. I, I've got to find a way to sleep that I've never, ever done. I know what I'll do. I'll climb up to 10,000 feet in the sky and I'll stretch out my wings and then I'll just go to sleep. What could possibly go wrong? It worked. I'm okay. As summer goes on, it starts to get colder. There are, there are less insects. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I, Mr. Swift, think I know. I've got a, I've got a plan. I've watched those humans down there. They, they, what they do is they, they, they've got larders, haven't they? Um, I'll catch some of those uh, nice, juicy uh, uh, bees and, and things, and I'll store them away, and that'll be, oh, no. 
there is something inside me that says I can't do that. That is not how my heavenly creator made me. What my heavenly creator has told me I've got to do. Wired into me is I've got to fly out over that sea. Where there is no insects. And indeed the water is salt, too salty to drink. What am I going to do? I go. Over the sea. Over a vast desert. With again no life at all. And I haven't drunk anything for days. And I've got no idea where I've go I'm going. No idea what I'm doing. Except that I'm made for this. What's that I see in the distance? It's getting greener. What's that, what's that cloud? It's insects. And here I come at last. And there's food and there's supply and I didn't die. And now for the next nine months, I can not only survive, but I can thrive in southern Africa. But I made no plan. I simply followed where I sensed my creator had called me to go. You know, in their, in their lifetime... Let me get these statistics right. In their lifetime, swifts um, uh, can live at least 18 years. In that time, they will fly probably 4 million miles. That's eight times to the moon and back. They, they, they um, uh, as I've already said, well, they will have spent nine months of the year entirely on the wing. They will have eaten billions of insects and the length of their plan will have been probably little more than three seconds at a time. And now, Peter, what? why were you worrying again? If God made his creatures and cares for his creatures in that way, if the Swifts can enjoy that incredible freedom, why do you, as a child of God, a precious child of God, feel that you have to encumber yourself with all of these plans and bits of security Look at the birds. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Look at the birds, says Jesus. Look at the flowers, Peter, as you go on your walk. 
Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? I, I, I love, Judy and I love uh, in particular to go to Waterperry Gardens. Uh, a few of you may know them. There's a herbaceous border there, which in September, it'll be just going past its best now. But it's in, in uh, this time of year, it is superb. It is, it, it is 60 yards long of the most glorious colors, mainly of uh, um, Michaelmas daisies and other things. Or in the, in the high summer, have you ever seen heart seas? You have to bend down and get down in the grass to see it. It's a little pansy thing. It's a wild. It's it's a wildflower. It is the it is the most beautiful little flower. Genuinely, flowers are more splendid than the the the, the most most wealthy king in all their pomp and splendor. Flowers are more elegant than Yves Saint Laurent. It is not by accident, you know, that the, the best creativity again and again and again finds itself imitating nature. Because in terms of beauty and elegance, nature is far ahead of us. Yeah, says Jesus. That's what God does to roses whose petals will fall off tomorrow. If he takes that degree of care with a rose, then you, who are eternal, don't you think that he'll care for you? Douglas Adams, um, who wrote uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, describes at one point Ulan Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters. Where God Went Wrong, some more of God's greatest mistakes, and his bestseller of all, Who Is This God Person Anyway? He was an atheist. He was, he was gently mocking his own kind. But Jesus says, We who claim to be followers so often think the same. But God's gone wrong. I need to help him a bit. We see a world bursting with God's delight in clothing even the most humble things with incredible beauty. And we think, well, it works for the heart seas, but it won't work for me. 
I remember once uh, when I was a student many years ago in another place, and um, I was cycling very, very anxiously towards uh, to, to an exam along Grange Road, if uh, anyone knows that city. And um, uh, I was full of anxiety and, and concern. I, I know from now on, you know, it's just steadily ramping increased pressure for the uh, for the academic year. Um, but it was late May, early June, and the horse chestnuts were in flower. And I lifted my head, and I thought, these trees, how many thousands of students have they seen go, uh, go under them over the years? And they've sat there, and they've flowered, And they've gone through another year into dormancy and then spring and summer and they've flowered again. Because they know the reliable God. And they'll be flowering, I said to myself, in 40 years time and uh, 40 years later I can tell you they are. Long after the anxiety that I had about my exam has disappeared into history. And long after I slowly and painfully have learned that my future didn't depend on the result of that exam, but upon the faithfulness of God. Peter, says Jesus, go out for a walk. Peter, Remember who your father is. That's been a repeated theme in, um, uh, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6 verse 4. Your father will reward you for acts of kindness done in, in secret, said Jesus. Matthew 6 verse 6. Your father hears you when you pray privately to him. Ma Matthew 6 verse 8. Your father knows what you need. Matthew 6, verse 9, we pray to God as our Father in heaven. Matthew 6, verse 14, uh, our Father forgives us. Verse 18, we fast in secret and our Father sees it. Get the picture? Jesus has put it again and again and again. And now in, uh, in, in verse 26, your Father feeds the birds. Are you not much more valuable than they? He says, it's interesting, it's your father. In other words, he doesn't actually explicitly say, the Bible may in a broader sense say that God is the father of all creation. Um, but here he's focusing it on us. He is your father. If, if, he, if he clothes those uh, or if he looks after and feeds and provides for those with whom he has a lesser relationship, how much more will he look after you? As your father. You know, some, of, some of us, we recoil because we've had bad fathers or we've had absent fathers or neglectful fathers or whatever. And the image doesn't appeal to us. But, but let, me, let me say to you, don't, don't run away from that image too quickly. The reason why that is a source of pain, if it is for you, is because you have a sense and an instinct 
of what a true father should be like. Don't you? And maybe the reason why you're feeling ambivalent about it is it's because you fear that God our Father will be just like the failed father that you also knew. And Jesus says, it is not so. He is the Father we were made to know and trust. He is the faithful one when all others are fail us. He is the one abounding in love and faithfulness. He is the source of all fatherhood. And he will not let us down. He is what we long for. He is what, why there is pain in our hearts when others fail us. There is a really precious passage to me in uh, the book of Job. Where Job, of course, is, uh, is questioning whether God really was just or fair or loved him or cared for him at all. And uh, God answers Job from um, heaven. And at one point, he says, uh, Job, Verse 30, chapter 39, the beginning of, do you know, says God to Job, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Here's, here's the picture. God says, look, Job, let me, let me talk to you about a mountain goat. A mountain goat that no human being has ever seen. A mountain goat that no one on earth cares about. But I care about it, he says. I've marked down in my calendar the date when it's going to give birth. I'm watching over it and counting the days until it gives birth. And when, it get, when that mountain goat goes into labor pains, I'm there alongside it in its labor pains. I am filled with delight when this new, new, new life comes into the world. I watch carefully as that mountain goat nurses her young until it is, is strong enough to, to live independently. I, if I care for goats that no human being has ever even heard of, how much more, Job, do you think I care for you? That's what God's saying. As your heavenly father, if you, if you are a believer today, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you have sought God's forgiveness, then you belong as a child 
to the Father who loves you more immensely and faithfully than you could ever imagine. So why on earth do you spend your time worrying? Says Jesus. Why, why do you think, no, I want to wrestle that away from God and I'm going to look after myself and I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing and keep myself safe and do everything that I can? When he's your father. And he will not let you down. to go for a walk for you to remember your father so Peter prioritize verse 33 seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well we are not then to be focused on all these things. They will be given to us as a gift, clothes and food and provision for the journey. If he really is our father, says Jesus, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What, what, is it, what does he mean by see, his kingdom? Some people have confined that um, uh, 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 wanting to say that it, is, it, that it is just the church. Some people are wanting to say that it is, it is all good things. From politics to medicine to, to, to absolutely everything. And, and, and if, if you're just doing good, you are seeking God's kingdom. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible's, Bible seems to say that there is a focus and a breadth to what it's talking about by God's kingdom. And it's basic, basic. It just means God's rule. And the focus in, uh, in the New Testament is very much on human beings coming under God's rule. People hearing the gospel and coming to trust in Jesus. People being converted. Uh, just to give you an example, for instance, at the beginning of Acts, the disciples gather around in verses 6 to 8, gather around Jesus and ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom? And Jesus' answer is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, in, a, in other words, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about here is not some political entity. It is the Holy Spirit coming and enabling disciples to be witnesses. It is the spread of people coming to faith in Jesus. And there is a very clear focus on that in the, in the New Testament. But there is breadth as well. For instance, in the book of Revelation, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 11, when we seem to have got to the, the culmination of God's purposes for the whole of his creation, 
we find now the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. In other words, the, the fulfillment of God's final purposes for his whole creation, that he should, is that he should rule as king, that the kingdom of God should become co-extensive with the whole of his creation. Indeed, if you go to Revelation 21 and 22, you find God and the Lamb seated on a throne, ruling over all things. So there is clear breadth about the kingdom of God, as well as focus. The breadth means that Christian believers can seek first his kingdom as they teach and do medicine and, uh, and, and care for their families and, uh, 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 and work in all, all kinds of different ways. But there is always a danger, you see, that, that human beings, what, being what they are, though as those good things spread, that human beings will not give glory to God, but they will say how wonderful we human beings are. And that is, that, that is opposed to God's great purposes in, the, in his world. So alongside living glorious, diverse lives in the world, always there is, uh, there is a focus, the Bible calls us to, of bringing glory to Jesus, of making sure that people see that all good things come from God, of bringing people uh, to where they can hear the gospel. And can put their trust in God. So when Jesus says. Seek first his kingdom. He has. Uh, uh, almost certainly. Both the focus and the breadth of that. Let your whole life be. Whatever you do. Do it for the glory of God. When he says seek his righteousness as well, there's almost certainly a breadth, a, a breadth and a focus about that as well. Because it, at one level, righteousness is every good thing. Seek every good thing that God approves of. But at another level as well, the Bible makes it plain that actually true, the true righteousness, the true position of being right with God is only found through faith in Jesus. And so you find this, this, this breadth and focus about what it means to be a believer. Jesus says, seek that. What is your life about? Is it about money? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Is it about clothes? Look how great I am. What I've bought for myself. Is it about reputation? Or is it about saying, everything that I do finds its glorious coherence in the fact that I'm living for God. And he'll look after me. 
he'll provide for me. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to do what that little swift did. I'm going to say, I know I was made for this. I cannot see how it is going to work out. But I know I was made for it. I'm going to do it. Prioritize. And do it today. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. A little swift, he can worry about sleep when night comes. Right now, he knows what he's got to do. You can worry about exams tomorrow. You can worry about bank balance next week. You can worry about where you're going to live another time. I tell you, there's enough trouble comes every day, says Jesus, to fill your day. So just today, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then when you get up tomorrow, you can think about doing it again tomorrow. Maybe you've never made that decision. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Maybe you're giving up on that life of faith. Today. Not tomorrow. Put your trust in him. Maybe you're crowded in by all those things that demand your attention and promise to keep you safe. Today. Put those to the side. He'll give you them. And seek his kingdom and his righteousness. I've been slowly and painfully learning to do that over 40 years now. And I can say it has meant time off work with anxiety and stress. It has meant many more hours in prayer than praying over those things when I could have been praying for other things if I had learned my lessons more quickly. But I can also say with Psalm 37 verse 25 I was young and now I'm old 
Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Our Heavenly Father, we have to be honest and say that there are so many concerns that crowd you out. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to trust in you as our Heavenly Father. Who will not let us down. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us to deal with those anxieties that so easily arise in us and lead us astray and make us run after things. Lord, we pray. Teach us from the birds. Teach us from the flowers. Teach us to trust you. In Jesus' name.